You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalen. We're going to be talking about team building. You know, most people, Larry, I think within the uh, the military think, oh, team building is going to be relatively easy. I, it's something I've always done when I was in the military. So when I go out to the private sector, I'll be able to follow right in. I can explain to the hiring manager that I can build teams and the whole thing. I think one of the things I wouldn't say that I found most challenging, but you're going to run into a different scenario, I think, when you walk out of the military, because not everybody is following a common goal as they are within the military. Right. You know, that it's so funny that we're even talking about this. I just had some uh, some coaching clients here, uh, entrepreneurs uh, in my office uh, today, and we were talking about this topic, and I was so glad it was kind of giving me some things to think about. And you're right. In the military, we have a common vision that we're all working towards, you know, and and we have this perception when we go into the corporate arena that it's going to be awesome because we're all working in the same company. But the problem is in the corporate arena, we all have our own agendas, right? Yes. And um, the the team is only as good as the leader that's leading that team, right? And, and, And I'm really putting emphasis on leader and not manager at this point, right? I mean, we've all seen sports teams where you've got individual talent, right? Think about the old uh, uh, L.A. Lakers, right, when they had Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal on the team. Great individual players, but they didn't play nice with each other. Well, that happens in most NFL or more, most you know professional sports teams. Let's face it. You end yeah. up having a lot of prima donnas or individuals that are making tons of money. They have individual objectives that they want to accomplish. I mean, they're probably incentivized, mind you, to accomplish certain things, whether it's yes. so many interceptions. or So every one of them are under their individual goals and wanting yeah. to achieve that. And that's not a team if you're not working right. effectively as a team. So that's a great uh, example. Yeah, something I've seen since I've been out, uh, speaking directly to that, it, something I found, and it, and it doesn't apply to everyone, mind you. I'm not, I'm not trying to stereotype, but, but I have seen it more often than not in, in the in the business sector. A lot of there's there, we struggle with loyalty, and there's the, the team building is, is quite different, and and it seems like there are more individuals, and I call them individuals, not team members, that are in it for themselves. They want to look good in front of the boss, or they want to get that next promotion. So they they would even go so far as to backstab, um, yeah. sabotage. To, to make themselves look good as an individual, so I, I think it's, I think it's quite different, you know, crossing over from military transition into the business sector. No doubt, I think we have an assumption in the military that the people that are on your team, and again, my only experience in the military is in special forces, that you're you're loyal to each other, you're loyal to the mission. There is an assumption, and so when you go into the corporate arena and you don't find that, it's mind-boggling. I still find it mind-boggling, and people yes. in my organization know that I am. If you're not loyal. And I mean actively loyal, which means you're yep. working with us, for us, moving forward on, with what our whatever our mission is. Then, frankly, I think you're working against us. Well, yeah. I think there are yeah. a lot of individuals, though, Larry. I think you'll agree that um, not all companies are the same, and not no. all teams or organizations um, are defined the same. And as you mentioned, leadership has a lot to play into that because culture plays into that whole piece of it. But loyalty goes both ways. So you have an individual that may look at it and go, listen, you're wanting me to be loyal, but at the same time, Frank, you're not being loyal to me. I mean, you know, in any moment, you can turn around and let me go at will, and I'm gone yeah. out of here. So Right. You're absolutely right. So one of the, I've got this little uh, social media meme or infograph that we, that we developed, and that is one of the things we talk about, that leaders have to invest heavily in loyalty to the team because we have to lead by example, right? You hear these people, corporate people in corporate America in these organizations say, hey, our team members are like family. Okay, but would you fire a family member? Right. <laughs> don't right. even pretend. If you're not willing to be loyal to your team, don't pretend because your team member, quote unquote, team members, employees, in other words, your team members know whether you're loyal to them It'll or not. It'll shake out. And that, It'll shake out. And, and that means letting them fail from time to time without you know, threatening that you're going to fire them. That means if they do fail, you don't hang it over their head, you know, every five minutes. It means, what we, did we learn anything from this? So you're right, Robert, loyalty and, and Rudy, loyalty is so important when it comes to building a highly effective, what I call elite team. 
you're not no talking you're not describing just loyalty too because i hear trust a lot of the stuff that you're mentioning as well larry sure. and so you know again trust is one of those things that's going to have to go both ways you got to yeah. be trusting that you as a leader larry are going to have my best interest in mind um that you're going to be evaluating the vision and the goals with me as part of that so that yeah. i feel like i'm part of the team and also you're embracing me and showing me that vision and goal in a way that i can see how i'm going to contribute and if yeah. I don't see that and I can't see that, um, it's harder for me to be loyal and trustworthy to the organization. Yeah, you know, and it, I agree. In the corporate arena, um, I think we've talked about this before, you know, Gallup, the Gallup organization, every year they do their State of the American Workforce survey. And they have found that rough numbers, 70% of the American workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. That's a large that? number. That's you catch a, that? That's yes. huge, right? So you got huge. about you got about thirty percent of the American workforce who is either engaged or actively engaged. But really, seventy percent that's disengaged or actively disengaged. Roughly twenty some percent uh, are actively working against you, which means they're undermining the mission. They're working against uh, the leadership. They are sharing trade secrets with the competitors. Some people have self-selected and said they're actually working another job or running a business inside the walls of their employer. Oh my okay? God. So where's the loyalty there? Yeah. Yeah. So why is this? Well, the survey has shown that people feel like they don't trust their leaders, which you've talked about. They don't feel any loyalty. They don't feel loyalty back from the leadership. Um, and they don't feel like they're being professionally developed. Now, in the military, we there's constant professional development, right? Yes. But in the corporate arena, our employees, team members, are left to their own de own devices to be trained, to be professionally developed. And so people don't quit their jobs, they found. They quit their leaders. Yes. Because they don't feel like they're respected, they're trusted, um, and they're not... Listen, our, we have a moral obligation to develop our team members, to help them become better versions of themselves. We, we just do. As leaders, that ought to be uh, our job to create more leaders. If we create more leaders, we're going to have better, higher performing, uh, better performing teams. I guess I, I don't want to monopolize the time. I mean, you get me on a rant going on. This no, time. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've seen the same kind of thing, though, with guys that have gotten out of the military. I mean, the stuff that, that Rudy was talking about, a, a lack of, of loyalty or a lack of trust uh, simply because the environment that we find ourselves in afterwards doesn't offer offer that to us, and and so we're we're caught in a struggle to to maybe one up somebody who maybe just a couple of years ago was a peer and a teammate, and now trying to you know I, I don't want to use the term spotlight ranger, but that's what keeps coming up. And you know Rudy and I have talked about this with some of the courses that we both work, um, and it comes back to I think what you said, Larry. It's it's leadership. I mean, the, the, the people who are in charge and who are running an organization have an obligation to, to share their vision and then spend time with their subordinates. And I, I think that's, that's what made me successful in the Army is, is the amount of time I spent downward with guys who were trying to, to do all the work that the organization was doing. It's not anything that I did. It's all the time that I spent with the people in the organization. All right. So I, I agree with you. So we may be preaching to the converted here, the, 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 the four of us, but why is it? Because it seems pretty simple, right? I get that it's not easy, but it's a pretty simple concept. But why don't more people do it? I, I, don't, they, they, I don't think they understand. They, right. they either don't understand or they truly don't care. Well, so in the military, we're brought up in a leadership format. So there are um, programs that are designed to take you through your leadership efforts. And Larry, you mentioned about a uh, you know a, a developmental program. Um, that's part of it. And one of the things that we have within the military is we have a roadmap. You know, when you're at this rank, you should be um, achieving these uh, educational skills, these types of additional trades or whatever the case may be. And when you want to get to this level, you may have to take on new experiences and new uh, education, either civilian-wise or military and so on and so forth, as well as leadership training and training on how to manage people and how to work and team build and all those types of things in the private sector they don't get that they learn by in most cases the people that have led them and unfortunately if you're not if you're practicing that a lot and you think about it 
there's probably not going to be a lot, a, a, a large percentage of really good leaders out there that are able to cast that shadow in the right way to build that that level of leadership that can continue going out bigger and bigger. Yeah, I, I think that you're you're onto something here. Several years ago, um, in my former organization. Um, I remember promoting a guy just just because it was a classic mistake that I made. He was good at one thing. I thought, well, if he's good at this thing, then he might be a good leader of this department. Classic mistake, right? Yes. Um, I've seen that many but times. I, but I, I was young. Thank goodness I learned from my mistakes. But I remember then there was a crisis in that department. And um, so I said to him, listen, th- these team members have been trying to get a hold. It was a Saturday. These team members have been trying to get a hold of you. Where the heck have you been? They've been back then. There's pagers. They've been paging you. They've been calling your house. It's well, like Saturday. I'm off. Yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> oh and I said, my god! But you're a manager. Yeah. His response was, "I don't do that anymore. I'm a manager." And I think that that is a mentality that, that of some people that the higher up the organization they go, the less responsible they are for the outcome of their teams. And in the military, it's the complete opposite isn't it? Leaders eat last is one of the things that we talk about, right? There's this culture that the higher up in the organization you go, the higher up in the team, the more responsible responsibility you have for the functioning of your team. And so that is so foreign in so many corporations that people, they can't get their heads around it. So what we look for- Leaders inspire, you know, leaders are supposed to inspire, managers manage, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think you're onto something there, Rudy, in that um, I'm glad you said inspire and not motivate, right? Because I think that's a mistake that a lot of managers make. They think that their job is to motivate their team. And to me, motivation is as long as that cattle prod is sticking them in the rear end, they're moving forward, right? But what happens when that cattle prod is removed? Well, they stop moving. Whereas inspiration is almost like this drag effect that happens, you know, that they want to keep going even when the uh, the force the, the pushing stops. There's, it's more of a pulling motion. I know it's semantics, um, but I think inspire inspiration is much more powerful powerful than motivation. But that's exactly what those organizations need. That seventy percent of the people are are either disengaged or actively disengaged. Larry, they need that inspiration to pull them into what the organization is doing. Yeah. And I, I think, and I mean, I, I'm not the expert on corporate structure, but I think at least from my experience in the military, you, you achieve that by spending time with people, by building relationships. And then you, you develop trust that goes both ways and you develop loyalty that goes both ways by spending that, that amount of time. You were talking about it earlier with this, um, this trip or this venture that you've got planned that, that you want to scale it down so that there's yeah. actually more time to spend with you. More engagement. Because that's what people thrive on, and they they want it, and that's what that leads them toward your vision. In the private yeah. sector, though, you know, well, let me go back. In the military, we typically learn everything we can about our subordinates. We want to know everything that makes them click, everything that makes them upset, or everything that would make them, you know, check out or whatever the case may be. That means we're going to get into their family. We're going to get into every aspect of their life. In the private sector. The human resources aspect of this comes into play and in some cases I think creates a fear factor that's out there where individuals don't want to get to know about their uh, their subordinates in that kind of way in their personal lives and such because they think they're they're crossing that line. And when a reality is that's not the case, you can certainly venture into that if the individual is willing to do it. But I can't tell you how many leaders I had within the private sector that didn't want to know anything about my life, who I was, what made Robert click, what would engage, you know, would make me engage in the workplace and motivate me or inspire me to want to be a part of the organization. And when I tried to find out from them as a leader more about their personal life, they totally shut me down and did not want to let me know anything about it. That's not a leader. That's a manager. Yeah. Right. But these right. these are C-level individuals in corporations. That's a very high individual. Well, they yeah, might, but, they might have but, used to have been good at what they do, but yeah. it doesn't sound like it now. <laughs> but see, this is the thing, though. This is why you see veterans who move into the corporate arena. They're so much more successful than their non-veteran counterparts. So imagine if these CEOs actually understood what it is that we're talking about. Yeah, they might be good. They might be really powerful or people in these organizations. But how great could they be if they understood this stuff or if they employed this stuff, made sure it worked? You know, a few years ago, I wrote this, you know, an acrostic is, right? Um, so I, I 
came up with this term uh, that kind of helps describe what we're talking about here. So it's an acrostic using the word elite, right? Elite teams. So I just want to share this with you for, for, for a second. So the first thing I think that we need to do is um, evaluate aptitude. That's what the military does, right? The first thing you do before you even go in, before you even raise your hand, they, they evaluate your aptitude by giving you the ASVAB, right? The Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. So, Robert, what, we, what these leaders ought to be doing to their team is evaluating their aptitude. That's number one. And then what we have to do is then we have to leverage those strengths. So you evaluate what their aptitude is. You leverage their strengths. That's what we do in special forces, right? Every person on an A-team has different strengths, different skill set, different aptitude. And then, then number three, what they have to do is what we've already talked about. That is inspire our team members towards their fullest potential, right? So you got evaluate, leverage, inspire. And then the fourth thing is, and this is why a lot of people leave organizations, is then we have to train them in their job. And then, of course, cross-train them. Ah, good sound, point. Sound, good point. Familiar in yeah. special forces. That's a great point that's not done. Cross-train them. Yeah. So yeah. in case somebody leaves, you can immediately you know, fill fill in. And then the, the fifth thing in this acrostic elite is then, and then, and this is the scary part for leaders, then you have to empower them to thrive, which means take your hands off the wheel and let them do their job and don't micromanage. Love have you it. ever been micromanaged? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, don't micromanage people because it sucks, <laughs> right? So that might help your listeners, you know, so evaluate, leverage, inspire, train, and empower. I love it. I think that's yeah, actually, so. there's so much in that. And uh, wow, Larry, I mean, you, you've definitely uh, cornered that um, because there's a whole book. I mean, there's tons of books even on execution and those types of things, uh, good to grade. And, and those, right. all those books that we, I think we even talked about in the last podcast where individuals don't take advantage of just these things. People yeah. are a big component of an organization and what make it more effective and Team building is that aspect. If you can build teams and they have the trust, they have the loyalty, you're going to go a lot further if they see that vision that now you have placed in front of them. Uh, They're going to buy into it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But did you notice in this acrostic, not one thing did say, hey, I've got to go do a ropes course. You know, know, it's funny because if you Google team building, 90% 90 of the things you'll find is on that kind of stuff. Ropes course. Here are exercises that you can do to build the team. Here are, you know. The the most, I think, the most high-performing teams that I see in the corporate arena, they don't do anything outside the walls of the business. What they do is they do the stuff you were talking about, Robert. They're building relationships with their team members. They're building trust. They're evaluating. They're leveraging strengths. They're helping people become exactly common goals. Um, They're helping people become better versions of of themselves right within the walls and confines. The problem is, I think, that we've got this corporate checklist that says, hey, manager, what'd you do to, you know, build your for team building this quarter and they check the box oh we went out and we did race go-karts oh good, All right, good. Yeah. Box <laughs> right you but are then, so spot on yeah but then they're not doing the stuff that we're talking about the hard this this is the hard stuff by the way the stuff that we're talking about here building relationships identifying people's strengths training them cross training them that's an investment right but we think that if i go out and do some go-kart racing which is easy right because all i have to do is pull out my credit card and pay for it and pay for a few drinks. That's easy, but it is not effective at all. Well, you know, and part of that too in team building, an element that we may have left off is communication. You've got to be able, and we said, you know, about going out and talking with them and and meeting with them and stuff, but you've got to be able to communicate in a way where they feel like you're not trying to hold things close to the chest. You can't be a leader um, that feels like because now you have the title and the position that you can keep information that you feel is privy to you at your level away from them because then you start building that distrust and in individuals who are not loyal because they're not buying in and they feel like Larry is now trying to keep information from me because Larry thinks yeah. he's important. Yeah. You know. Well, uh, yeah. So so this other thing I have is like these seven tips for building elite teams, and that that's one of them. So the first one is be friendly to everybody. You, yeah. you have to be friendly, right? You, you, you got to make sure and treat everybody on the team with dignity and, and respect. But the second point is what you're talking about, and it's, it's open book management. Tell your team everything. Yes. Because whether you think that they know the, how the, the, the company is performing, they know. They probably know better than you do about what's going on. So just 
open the books, tell them everything. Shared knowledge builds the, the two things we've been talking about. Shared knowledge builds loyalty and it builds trust. Have to, you know, I'll, I'll just finish these things off. Then you got to practice what I call Pulitzer Prize plagiarism, you know, <laughs> steal good ideas from other people, you know, give credit when you can, but we don't have to rebuild, we don't have to um, um, reinvent the wheel, but we have to surround ourselves with people who are bolder and brighter than we are. We have to do that. If we're the smartest person in the room, we're in the wrong know. room, right? <laughs> right? That's Rudy's favorite saying, well, by the way, yeah. yeah. Right? That's so accurate. It's so, it's so powerful. And then we have to invest really heavily, heavily in loyalty, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and then we have to really realize that fairness is, is really what's next to godliness. It's not cleanliness. It's fairness is next to to godliness. I, I heard uh, managers and people in leadership positions in the past say, hey, I treat everybody the same. Well, you can't treat everybody the same because we're all motivated and inspired by different things. We all have different backstories, but you can treat everyone fair. Right, right. right. And then the, the, the sixth thing is we have to laugh. We have to have a culture where there's humor, that we don't take ourselves too seriously. So we have, right? I mean, laughter lowers the temperature of any, in, in, in any room, right? Um, and it helps us, you know, think differently, clear, clears the cobwebs. And then finally, we have to know ourselves. You know, we can't build elite teams if we don't know how we're built. And if we think that we're going to build a team by everybody being just like us, then that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. We have to know our strengths, know our weaknesses, so that we can augment our weaknesses with other people's strengths. So do you kind of call these um, your guiding principles then, Larry? I mean... Yeah, that's, I guess that's what I would call call them. I just call my seven tips for building an elite team. But, but yeah, these are guiding principles <laughs> when it comes to building a, building a team. Yeah, I like it. Robert, I'm going to take that. These are my guiding principles for building teams. That's much better than seven tips. <laughs> See, I'm not the smart guy on the call. I'm just... <laughs> no, I mean, I think it, uh, it actually makes sense. And that's the whole thing that you go back to what you originally said. If it makes sense, why aren't more people doing it? And it is a crazy question that comes up. But time and time again, you end up running into leaders who, for whatever reason, were given these positions, were given these titles, and maybe perhaps even like you mentioned, Larry, was because you thought they were the right type of leader or the right type of individual for that, that role. And when you put them in it, you're certainly not going to go back and go, Larry, I got to take it away from you. I, I totally messed up. You shouldn't have been given that role and that title. I'm going to drop you back down to where you were. Um, I did that. You did you? I, I, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I did that. I, I try not to repeat mistakes that, <laughs> that, that I make. Um, and I want to coach people up or coach them out of the organization. Um, now, what I did with this guy, obviously, then I put him through a couple of other stress tests um, to see how he was going to respond. And he responded the same way. So I knew this wasn't a one-time thing. Um, and so, yeah, he was given the opportunity. Well, you can leave the organization if we can go back. He knew he wasn't going to cut it inside the organization in that current position, so he'll end up leaving on his own, right? Yeah. Um, I think we, we have to do we have to do that. But what I've learned since then, cause that was probably the third or fourth promotion I'd done given somebody after I left the military. So it was really about that time when I started saying, well, damn it, what was it that made, you know, what is it that the military is doing that they're able to create really high-performing teams? And so they, right, we talked about this, ASVAB. And in the civilian world, you don't have an ASVAB, but you've got Myers-Briggs, you've got the Colby A Index, you've got the Strength Finders Assessment. And so what I started doing at that point is starting giving assessments to people to measure their aptitudes and measure their strengths before they got promoted. So in our hotel organization, where we've got, what, probably 70 or 80 different managers, supervisors, or, or leaders, every one of them has taken the Strength Finders 2.0 Assessment which measures their top five strengths. It actually does 30-some, but we identify their top I've five. I've had that done we, before, yeah. Yeah, and we get, we give them the Colby A Index, which measures the cognitive brain. How do you reply to stimuli? They, they, they got, you know, how do you show up just naturally uh, in, in life? So that's what uh, we measure. Um, instead of an ASVAB, we give those kind of things. And it really helps you identify um, where people ought to be sitting on the bus, you know, yeah. the Strength Finder Index is so good. It's so helpful. The Myers-Briggs is good in working with teams because you can find out individuals about how they're going to interact and play with their peers. 
um, and what makes them, you know, what motivates them or inspires them. Um, So, I mean, there's there's pros in, you know, to each of those. uh, But the Strength Finders is really, I think, effective. And in my case, it was one of these things that, for me, validated much of what I thought of who I was and how I acted towards individuals and making decisions and those types of things. And it laid out exactly. And when you start taking these tests, if you're truly honest as you go into them and take them with true sincerity and not trying to think how I want to be, but just who you are, I think you're going to learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, I think, one of the keys to that, Robert, is that none of these are tests. They're assessments. All right. But we go into these thinking that they are tests, and so we try to game the system, right? Right. But if you go into it, there is no right, there is no wrong, and the more, the sooner I know the real me by being honest, the better team I can build yep. around me, right? So I think that that's really uh, critical uh, in this. So you're right um, about strength finders. The thing I like about Colby is that it measures. It's got four action modes. They call it fact finder, follow through, quick start, and implementer. Uh, the great thing is, like, I'm a real, I'm a really high quick start. I'm the kind of guy, I'm the risk taker. I'm the guy that would stand at the yeah, edge yeah. of the building and jump off and build a plane on the way down, right? I'm really low on follow through. I hate systems. I, <laughs> I don't get stuff done unless I have a team around me that helps execute on these brilliant ideas yeah, yeah. that I come come up with, right? And I'm a mid range fact finder. I'll do a little bit of research, but really, I I rely on my gut, right? So if I don't have high follow-through, high systems people around me, nothing would ever get done. That's and I a wouldn't key know point. this unless I had taken these assessments. And so what ends up happening is like, ah, no wonder I'm like I am yeah. now that you know yourself. So surround yourself. You said it with smart people. Find yeah. your weaknesses. Find uh, what it is that you know you need assistance with. Hire those individuals or bring them in or find yeah. those individuals that have those um, areas that you're weak in. And it'll make you that much better because you're not just going to rely – if you're a good leader, again, you're not just going to rely on them solely. You're going to learn still by what they're doing, and uh, it'll it'll bring you up even that much more. Yeah, um, but part of the this – t- this takes courage to do, though. It does. You know? yeah. It takes courage because to surround yourself with people who are bolder and brighter than you are, you need to be willing to not be the one who's always getting the attention or always t- taking the credit, right? Act- good leaders – give the credit away right and good leaders accept responsibility even when it's not theirs for failing but that's most of corporate america doesn't get that it's they have it flipped around right Right. they want to take credit for the work that their subordinates did and if there's a problem then they throw people under the bus but when a leader does that larry that's when he builds the loyalty and trust exactly that's when trust and loyalty goes down to everybody else in the organization Totally, Mike. I I totally agree with you on that. And this is where it takes courage, though, right? Because there's the fear that if they take that bullet or they step in front of that bus for their team, then they're going to lose their job. I mean, how often do you see people in corporate America where they say, I'm quitting, I'm resigning from my position because I don't agree with the direction of of the organization? And you know what happens? They get hired so quickly by other people because those are the types of people that organizations want on their their team. Sure. Right? So I'll, I, I'll, give you a quick, I'll give you a quick snapshot. It just yeah, happened really. last last month, Larry. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I make I make pretty decent money. I'm not, not trying to pull my own chain here, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it relates directly to what you're talking about. You know, I had a, I had another uh, defense contract company hit me up um, mm-hmm. for, for one of the things I specialize in, and uh, they offered me thirty thousand dollars a year pay raise, wow. and so of, of course it piqued my interest. Um, yeah. But but the one thing that we talked about earlier, which I go. I, I feel very strongly about and it's loyalty and so I started asking questions about the company and I, I found immediately uh, it, it was it was ran um, in a very different way than than the current company I'm working with yeah. and and that loyalty comes into play and 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 I felt good about declining the thirty thousand dollar year pay raise yeah. by, by going with that company starting off and yeah. you know it my supervisors, my managers, uh, my leaders, uh, president of the company, they know my loyalty, you know, and yeah. they, they see it happening all the time. There's a, there's a, there's a handful of us within the organization that uh, we we're constantly getting hit up on by all the different defense contractors. And, um, they know, you know, they, 
they, they treat us right. They treat us fair. They, they lead. They inspire us. They, you know, we're, we're clued in to, uh, to what the organization's doing all the time. You know, they, they allow us to make our own mistakes and run with you yeah. know, crazy, crazy ideas. It, if we fall on our face and they pick us up and dust us off and get right back at it. So I, I absolutely yeah. love the company, um, and, and I am extremely loyal to that company. Yeah. Such that you know, I'll, I'll turn down other positions. And, um, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? I think it's a great yeah. commentary where we just are in society. Because like, so my father was a World War II guy. You know, he's on Iwo Jima um, in, in the Marines. And for his generation, the thing that would attract—I'm um, going to use this word intentionally—loyalty back then would be um, prestige in the company, pay and status that's what that's how you would attract somebody hey i'll give you thirty thousand dollars more to come work for my company and back then you would move and, and the gold right? watch at the end of the 30-year career that's yeah. right <laughs> today what drives people is exactly what you just got through saying rudy is loyalty sense of mission passion and meaning that's what keeps people around in organizations today and, and, and i'm around like-minded individuals right you know and again i'm not the smartest guy in the room by any by any stretch but i know everyone thinks the same as i do that's yeah. in that so it, it's very enjoyable. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. cu culture is a big part of this, Larry. I mean, you know, sure, you're creating, when you're talking about creating a team uh, environment, you're really talking about creating a culture that everybody buys into, understand, embraces. And in those situations, people don't leave. They, they don't feel like yeah. they want to. It's a family environment. It's somebody, you know, it's a group of individuals that are like-minded, like, -minded, like um, you know, Rudy mentioned, or uh, sharing in the same stories. They're like family and friends, and they probably socialize after work, not just during work. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many jobs where I worked in environments where at, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't want anything to do with the individuals I work with. It was great yeah. while they were there, and we had a great environment and such, but it wasn't something I wanted to carry on after. When I did yeah. find a place in the private sector where you had a group of individuals in a team where everybody clicked, everybody knew what their role was, everybody brought something to the table, the leader empowered or allowed individuals to be, you know, have a lot of the autonomy and uh, bring stuff to. Um, the group and such, you felt like you wanted to not just spend time with these individuals during the day. You wanted your evenings, your weekends, and everything. You know, you yeah. texted. You you were just part of that group. Yeah. That's yeah. when you know you really have a good team. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Culture is so overlooked, but it's really one of the most important things to an effective team. Um, like Rudy was saying, you know, he knew that his he's with around like-minded people, right? He knows that people have his back. The guy is six. Sound familiar? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, it's it's a lot of um, people who have not been in the military just don't understand the value of the camaraderie that we talk about, that we understand uh, in the military. That is powerful. It's, you know, Napoleon talked about, you know, that people will will die for a small shred of, uh, of fabric. He's talking about the flag, yeah, 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 yeah. right? Uh, and that's really the sense of mission that you're talking about. But leaders have to, you said it earlier, I think it was you, Robert, communicate. Yeah. You got you to communicate the sense of mission. You got to talk about here's what our expectation is. You know, it, we grew pretty fast over a few years, and we do these um, confidential, what we call them work climate surveys yeah. every so often. When we bring on a new property, we do them every six months. Um, it's, it's basically part of it is a 360-degree review or a peer review that we would do in special forces, yeah. right? The last thing you want to do is be peered out, right? That's right. about an embarrassment, right? Yeah. Um, and so we do these uh, these work climate surveys. And about a year and a half ago, when we did our work climate survey, um, people were saying, hey, we don't feel connected to Larry anymore. Um, we we want to have more access to Larry. We don't really understand where we're going as an organization. When we had more access to Larry, he could tell us where we are going. So I realized I'm starting to fall short here. So how can we increase the engagement that we were talking about earlier? Let's do communication. So one of the things that we do now, and I just had, we did our quarterly one yesterday, is I do a, now do a quarterly state of the company webinar. Ah, uh, yeah. Where every person can get on this thing. And I say, hey, here's where we've, here's what we've, basically an AAR, you guys will get this. Here's what we've done right in the past quarter. Here's what we did wrong in the past quarter, right? And here's how we're going to improve uh, going forward. And here's what the mission is. And I, and I'm, I'm just, I'm really quite transparent and I'm talking to them just like I'm talking to you guys 
right now. It's not some pre-planned speech. I mean, I do have a, a slide deck that I go through, but it, it helps people feel like they're on the same team, that it's not yeah. just, hey, Larry in the home office is off doing one thing, and we're just sitting back here following orders. No, they really feel like they're part of it, and I try to engage them and, and ask for, for their feedback, and, and uh, I've been doing this for about a year now, a little over a year, and it's amazing the number of emails and messages that I get afterwards where people say, oh, that was, you know, I feel so much better. I feel like I'm part of the, the team. Um, and it's, it's, we have seen engagement spike just because I'm doing that. Well, I'm doing a little bit more than that. But that one thing about actually communicating more effectively and more directly is powerful. And there's another thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Richard Ryerson. If not, I should introduce you uh, to him. Uh, former Marine Corps uh, pilot. And... Uh, he does these things now for organizations that, that we're doing where we actually record a podcast for our most important shareholders and stakeholders. And that's for our team members. And so um, every two weeks we release a new podcast where, where Rich and I will interview a fellow team member or a manager or uh, a client or an expert in the industry just about their journey in life. And so people, again, they feel more connected uh, with, with, with the leadership. And um, and that honestly, I think that's one of the most important things that we've done as an organization recently to make sure that our team members feel like they are more engaged, more connected, and a higher sense of community in the organization. You know, I was part of a large organization, and we had a, a department or a team that, in the grand scheme of things, was um, a small little blip on the radar. Uh-huh. And so, one of the things that we did in not only trying to bring awareness to the rest of the community, but also to the team and let them know that how we are. As as a culture or as an organization was we did somewhat of what you just said. We actually went out to some of the leaders within the organization and said, how do you see us? Give us a vision of what you see us doing. And they would say things like, you guys are a great organization that really supports our team by doing A, B, and C, and I can't do what we do without your assistance and the support. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate every one of the people that work under your leadership that do what you do because we couldn't do what we do without you that was so powerful to the individuals that listened to that because they had never been exposed to these leaders other than maybe an email or you know a picture on a website or something the internal uh, company website but when they saw the video they saw Larry now speaking to them directly and saying thank you and I appreciate what you do and here's what you do to support my team powerful very powerful how do you guys how do you guys mitigate and, and Mike you've seen this too brother um, with the with the command climate surveys, um, how do you guys mitigate uh, a a, a low ranking enlisted guy for the military or a uh, a, a low ranking uh, corporate employee? How do you mitigate them feeling enough trust in that leadership or that management to openly come out and discuss a yeah. problem that they're having without right. without the fear of blowback or oh my right. gosh job. It's a great question. How do you guys deal with that? Yeah, that is an awesome question. So first of all, we make sure that they understand that it's totally confidential, that I never see where it's coming from. In fact, we have an outside party who administers the thing now. Um, So I never see directly who who, who it comes from. Um, But it's hard if there is not already a sense of trust in the organization. All right. So the first time I did this, it was at my former organization. And um, I knew that my partner and I were going to get blasted. (laughs) I just knew it. The worst thing you can do is ask for feedback and then not respond to it and make corrective action. Good point. Yes. The the worst thing you can do is take it and then not say anything. Right. And so my partner, I went back to the to the team and said, oh, my gosh, number one, thank you for your feedback. And honestly, boy, does this hurt, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And it is well-deserved. And so here's what we're going to do moving forward. And so the first couple of times we did it, you know, we took our lickings. Um, But then what we actually did is we executed on some of the suggestions that people had made. And so um, it's like trust in any relationship. It takes time to build and only a minute to ruin, right? And so we went back and so we actually started uh, um, uh, incorporating some of the ideas or making changes where we could. And over time, people started realizing, hey, I can mention something and it's not going to get back to me, you know. But the first and we tell them over and over again, there is no retaliation. It, It takes time because we are generally a distrusting society or distrusting of authority, 
right? Um, we think the demand's keeping us down and we're exploiting all the, the workers. Um, but I think it just takes time, Rudy, uh, uh, to do it. But ultimately, like in our organization now, I mean, I've got room attendants and bellmen who come up to me and will say, hey, we're kind of screwing it up here. Um, you might want to take a look at it because they okay. know they're not going to they're not going to lose their job. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a great point, too, because you may have uh, leaders that are up and down the chain. So let's say, for instance, Larry is the CEO, and he comes out, and he gives this impression that he wants to hear your opinion. Um, but unfortunately, I, you know, I'm down here on the bottom, and I work for Rudy, and Rudy is my manager, or maybe even two levels up. Mike, Rudy works for Mike, and that's not something Mike wants yeah. to, to have happen is for information from his team to get to Larry without it first going to Rudy and Mike, and he believes in the whole chain of command thing. Um, and, and Larry, you brought up an excellent point by having these types of avenues by which individuals can participate and get their information up to Larry to the voice it wants to hear. First off, that, that just shows you right there of what I just portrayed, that you have a, a bad culture and a bad organization in terms of leadership. But we used to create focus teams as well, where we'd come in and go, you know what, we're trying to create a team here. And what we want is we want to select individuals from this team. And oh, by the way, Mike and Rudy, we selected John, Susie, and Jack from your team to be a part of this focus group. In other words, you didn't have a play. You couldn't pick the individuals that you wanted to be on yeah. this who you thought would bring the voice that you <laughs> wanted. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, yeah. And instead, we would come through and we create a focus team so that we could get the information to Larry of who we thought. And typically, we try to find individuals who would normally fly under the radar yeah. because it would empower them. You would see a different person come out of that room. They now yeah. felt like their voice is being heard. That's a great yeah. point, Rudy. I mean, yeah. excellent point. Robert, I think that the, the type of stovepipe leadership structure you described a minute ago is is what's wrong with a lot of different, at least in the military structure, Agreed. it's what's wrong with, with, with the flow of information. It's the, the kind of thing that working understand McChrystal several years ago, we really got away from. Right. And how do we get the, the most information to the guy who can make the decision the fastest? And it's to eliminate some of those guys. And, right. Or maybe not eliminate them, but not make them feel intimidated because the information is not flowing through them because that slows the process. So it goes back to what Larry said is is when the information comes up and we get it, we act on it, but we don't take action against the people who didn't give it to us who are most close to us, right? Yeah. So so the bell the bellman gives you some information, you act on it. You don't take action against the manager of the hotel, you just fix the problem. Exactly. And and that helps that helps the organization or help on the manager fix the problem. Yeah. Or let the manager fix the problem, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so important. So one of the things that I used to do, and I've been trying to figure out how I can start doing this again, is I used to do monthly lunches with Larry. And I, would, I wouldn't, managers and leaders wouldn't go to this. It would be the quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes, line level yeah, yeah. Uh, team members that we would have. Um, and so the, the tone was set among all the managers and leaders in the organization that this is the type of organization that we are. It's a, it is a more flat organization and not hierarchical command and control, stovepipe, whatever description you want to use um, in this. That we, we get, As leaders, we have to get as close to the worker and as close to the client, consumer, um, whatever you want to call them, as, as possible. We got to get rid of those layers that That's are the in pulse. Between That's us. the pulse of the organization. You got to keep your yeah. finger on the pulse of it. So yeah. something I think yeah. that we should talk about because individuals are going to be listening to this and they're going to go, okay. Um, how do I know, you know, what are the symptoms that kind of sim uh, symptoms that signal a need for team building? How do yeah. I know that I don't have an effective team? What are the, some of the things that's going to stand out, right. Larry? So there's there's three things that I look at constantly that I have to be measuring. I think every leader, CEO ought to be looking at. One is um, team member satisfaction. One is client satisfaction. And the third is cash flow. Right. If you've got a if you've got a poorly engaged team, you're going to see decline in all that kind of stuff. What you're going to see is low productivity. You're going to see high pilferage. You're going to see um, high turnover uh, in the organization. Um, those are all lagging indicators. Right. But the leading indicators are going to be um, client satisfaction. Right. Because if you've got high client satisfaction, that means that they're going to be buying from you again in the future. Right. Right. 
right? If you've got high team member or employee satisfaction, that means that they're going to be loyal, lo more likely to be loyal to you. There's going to be higher productivity. There's going to be less turnover. There's going to be higher, um, higher morale. And cash flow, of course, right? We're not looking at profit at this point. Profit, yes, we have to look at profit. But without cash flow, your business isn't going to keep going, right? If you've got low morale, guess what? Your cash flow is going to be low because it means you have low productivity. It means you've got pilferage. It means that people don't care about inventory control, right? So too often what we always look at is the is the uh, lagging indicators. We look at P&Ls, right? crazy that, that's that's not what we ought to be yes we have to look at that no doubt about it but we need to be looking forward as much as we can man you are getting like my juices going here because i'm a six sigma guy <laughs> and then former being you know being in leadership roles in in companies but um when you start talking about leading and lagging indicators that is that's it i mean that's well, what I'm it's all about in the same room robert because i don't want you to get that turned on while i'm <laughs> I'd give you a hug right now, Larry. Oh, That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, but so many people don't understand just that. Um, they focus so much on um, the wrong type of indicators to lead an organization. Um, it, it's, it's really simplistic when you break it down. Well, listen, our job as leaders is to fix problems, right? I know I'm pretty sure I shared this with you the last time I was on your show, right? At the end of the day, our job as leaders is to fix problems. And we've got four kinds of problems. We have people problems, we have process problems, we have profit or profit problems and product problems, right? People, process, product, and profit. At the end of the day, if you have a product problem or a process problem or a profit problem, it all comes back to a people problem. We have to be, if you're going to be a great leader, you have to be a great team builder, a great motivator, inspire. You've got to be a great people person. you got to know how to build relationships. Have you ever seen a great leader who has who cannot build a good relationship with somebody? Never. No, it's all, you got to be a people person, right? Otherwise, you, if you are crappy at building relationships, you're going to be stuck away or squirreled away in some room. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be charismatic, right? I mean, that's a classic mistake. We think that we've been sold this bill of goods that in order to be a, a great CEO or entrepreneur, you got to be really charismatic. And no, you to be a great leader, you need to be, you need to be able to communicate effectively, right? Um, and if you're not great at building relationships, you need to d darn well have people on your team who can build relationships. You know, Maxwell wrote a book about 360 degree leadership. I, I can't tell you how many individuals that I've ran into where I've talked with them about they they don't even understand that they're leaders and yet they're influencing up, they're influencing down, and they're influencing sideways. If you're doing that, you don't need the title, you don't need the position, you're a leader. Yeah, I think John Quincy Adams had a quote, and I'm going to kill it here, but basically he said, if you inspire people... Um, and um, you inspire change, you're a leader. Yep. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, it's pretty simple. Can't get any. So what did you call these uh, four problem tips? Um, I didn't call them anything. I just said as, <laughs> as, as a okay. leader, those are the four things that we, that we have to focus on. You All know, right. we, we're always, as leaders, we are supposed to be solving problems. And in any organization, literally any organization, I can't think of one not if you got a problem it usually falls under one of those four categories people product process and profits right okay great great points all right so we covered all of the areas are there tips within an individual as a leader that they need to make sure that they do um, within their team to be more effective i know one of the things that i've heard of is that you need to make sure that you lay down certain ground rules like this is how we're going to work together this is how we're going to make decisions um what what is your kind of your feedback on that because yeah there's there's five of them that i kind of refer to often um is we have to actively listen actively listen not just you know and you, active listening is you know rudy says something to me and i say well tell me more how so Right, you want to pull information out of people. That's number one. Number two, we have to discover our team members' goals. This goes back to what you're talking about, Robert. We got to know the people on our team. What do they personally want out of life, and how can we help them become better versions of ourselves? So, number one is listen actively. Number two is discover team members' uh, goals. Number three is we have to spot corrections. 
make spot corrections and quickly, you know, address them and do it privately. How often do you see managers and leaders, they know there's a problem, but they don't have the guts or courage to either, number one, address it quickly, or number two, do it privately. So they embarrass people out and, out and, you know, and they publicly. They want to flex the power and make everybody know their, what position they're in. Right, right. And number four is we have to um, expect and praise superior performance. Did you get that? We have to expect that we're going to have superior performance. I've seen a lot of managers and leaders, they're like Eeyore. Oh, we're never going to do this. We're never going to be great. Right? Wow. Yeah. Um, I say, be like Tigger. <laughs> be like Tigger. Expect great things are going to happen. And then when things do happen, you got to praise it. Right? And then the fifth thing is you got to lead by example. you got to lead by freaking example. Yeah. You can't expect that I'm going to sit here in my office with my feet up on the desk and lack integrity, but expect that my team is going to be out there taking the hill and doing so with integrity. It's not going to happen. You know, there are a lot of books are written about your leadership shadow and, um, you know, how you cast that. And I think it's a lot of just what you just described there. It's mm. if you're doing these things and you're casting that type of shadow to other individuals where they understand what type of leader you are, where you stand, what you expect from them, you're, you're casting that out. I mean, you're, yeah. you're creating that environment where they, they understand their place and how they're going to contribute to it. Um, and I think in a lot of cases in the private sector, uh, corporate America, leaders think because they have the title, they have the position, it's much easier for them to stand behind it. They did it within the military, mind you. You had individuals that stood behind their rank and um, wanted you to trust uh, whatever it was that they were saying, because I said so. I'm the leader, yeah. and that's yeah. what you're supposed to do is listen to me. Yeah. You know, but that but they don't that that kind of attitude does not instill real loyalty that Rudy was talking about earlier. You might say, "Yeah, I'm loyal to you." You might do, "Yes, sir," "No, sir," while in front of them. But what happens when that guy is out of the room? Respect and loyalty are two different things. Exactly. Well, yeah. respect your position. Is we're going to talk you about you like a dog, Larry, when you leave the room. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about that guy, Larry. Jeez, oh man! You know, every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate uh, everybody. Guys, thank sure. you so much for having me on. I really do. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code mentors for mil or mentors the number 4 mil at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.